Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, Dave C. is a legend in recovery. I know him personally. He's impacted me a great deal. He's got more than 30 years of sobriety. I think he's coming up on about 35 years, in fact. And he's got an amazing story. Uh, His qualification uh, is certainly one that you would look at and say, this guy's uh, absolutely an alcoholic. And then his story about his life in sobriety is one where you'll certainly look at it and say, man, this is worth it if I can put in the work and actually do what I need to do to stay sober. Life is good, man. Thanksgiving's coming up. Maybe it just passed, but there's nothing like talking to a guy like Dave C., who has incredible gratitude around this time of year. Nothing like talking to him any time of year, but I love him. Oh, by the way, (laughs) we let Mike Souza back in for this one. Always a highlight. Uh, Always a joy to talk to somebody like Dave C., too. And always a joy. By the way, you can find all this guy's music on Spotify and Apple Music, and it's Unbelievable. Kevin Souza. All right, we're ready to go. Okay, roll. I dropped my volume. Mike, you're very, he's very loud, but I mean, I, I, that, Peter, that's... tell me I'm very loud again. I'm going to strangle you. <laughs> Dave, what's going on, man? Everything's good, right? Everything's good. Um, <laughs> I've never done a podcast, so uh, first for everything. Yeah. But I mean... we start with our clothes on. <laughs> Later, it gets a little weird. <laughs> Mike, do you know? I swear, I was good. I thought that it would be funny to like not have a shirt on and be like, <laughs> be like it, it depends on what your chest hair game is like right now. If it's, it's anything like a month ago, God. Hey, Dave, did you ever shave? You ever shaved your chest in your life? No, no. <laughs> Listen, that was by the way, that was the worst question to start and ask Dave because. If I had $100,000 in my pocket, I would have borrowed some from you and then bet that total sum. Like, no. Of course not. He's a real man. Not like a me. I, just, I don't shame, Dave. I I groom. Oh, that's good, Mike. I'm going to use that. I didn't I never thought of that. Okay. I'm being serious. This is his podcast, by the way. All right. So, Dave, here's what we're doing. Yeah. Like, basically, we're just sharing experience, strength, and hope with people out there. Um, to give them, give them the hope that you have. And also, uh, it's almost Thanksgiving. Um, this is going to go up before Thanksgiving. And and I was thinking the other day, God, I was just thinking of, I I was actually pretty grateful about my life. And then I thought about you, um, and how you always talk about gratitude and I called you, um, and I just came up with this, this, this idea. So I think it's a perfect idea. It's a perfect time of year. And you're a, a perfect guy in recovery. Um, at least it, through my eyes. So I wanted to uh, to see if we can make this happen. So I appreciate you making it happen. Hey, dude, Dave, it, it is so good to see you, buddy. And uh, I'm pumped. You know, it's just it, it's just basically, you know, walking through your story. And I. it's so funny when I think about 
Dave C. And I'm like, ah, just wisdom upon wisdom. And, uh, you know, I'm just so looking forward to hearing this. It's going to be, I'm so, I'm, I'm excited, man. I just, you're just one of the best people I've ever met, you know? Wow. Thank you, Michael. It's true. All right. So Dave, where'd you, where'd you grow up and what was, what was your childhood like? I grew up in uh, Northeast Philadelphia and uh, until the age of nine. And then we uh, moved to Feasterville, Bucks County. And, uh, and that's where I continued uh, living until I turned 18. And uh, according to my father, when you turned 18, find a job, find a way out of the house and go make it on your own. (laughs) Well, what what was life at home? Like, like any, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're an alcoholic, you're sober many years. Was there alcoholism in the home or was there alcohol around the home? Anything you noticed as a kid? Very rare that I would see uh, my mother uh, take a drink. She would have a highball, you know, holidays or whatever. My father would have a beer, um, and, but i never seen him drunk. Uh, and uh, so there was alcohol, but Nothing that had any effect uh, as far as my upbringing is concerned. What was so? What was your first experience? And Mike, Susie, you can jump in at any time. But what was your? Well, first I was experience? curious. Okay. Is it not in your genes, like your family's genes? I didn't know that. It's not like rampant through your family. Well, um, Mike, I was told early on the only thing that's in my genes is my ass. And get, <laughs> it to, get it to a meeting. That's all I was told. That's all I'll share about genes. <laughs> No, so what was your first experience like with with alcohol, um, with drugs, with that mind altering experience? What was it like? Well, I started with alcohol uh, probably in the sixth grade. Uh, kids in the neighborhood, uh, one's dad had a bar, so he would put you know different liquors together in a mason jar type thing, and and we'd go up into the woods and 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 sip it and drink it, and uh, and that was probably the start of it. And uh, um, and the drugs came in two years later, uh, and uh, with smoking hashish and stuff like that was my first experience into the drug world, and um, and then that obviously grew as well. But yeah, just uh, hanging out with uh, kids of my age, uh, and um, you know, looking to. Uh, Looking to do things that I wasn't allowed to do for the excitement of it all. When you talk about that first experience, you know, you're in sixth grade and then you go on, you're in eighth grade, you're, you're, you know, you're drinking, you're smoking. What kind of like guys are you hanging out with? Like, is it easily accessible at that age? Um, well, I would say drugs wasn't, weren't easily accessible. Uh, I would be in places where other people were partaking and they would, uh, you know, pass the pipe or pass the joint kind of a thing. Um, uh, booze was, was somewhat accessible because I had uh, older brothers and sisters. And, uh, and, uh, and sometimes you could, you know, work, work with them to go out and grab you a six pack or something like that. But for the most part, we got our alcohol by offering the junkies in the neighborhood uh, a few bucks extra so they could go get high if they went into the liquor store or the beer distributor and bought what we needed. Um, So it was, you know, we'd get a group of maybe 10, 12 guys and 
everybody would chip in and uh, the, 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 the junkie would go to the beer distributor, buy a few cases, everybody would have their six pack. And we'd sit in the field and drink our own six pack before you went to the junior high dance. That mm -hmm. was that was it. My drinking was a Friday night uh, before the junior high dance. And then you tried to drink as quickly as you could to get to the dance. And then uh, and for me, I had to rush home right afterwards because I had a strict father. And where my friends were allowed out later, I had to run home. So I would arrive home a lot of times. Um, the high is a kite on alcohol and uh, and run upstairs to avoid my father and then hop in bed and the bed would spin, you know, uh, and, and that's my memory of early drinking. Mm. Uh, but the uh, the group environment was always there. Uh, everybody I hung out with uh, wanted to do the same things I wanted to do. What? We wanted to, you know, drink booze and and do drugs and just get high and and. Uh, and that was it. Well, here's the thing that separates us from the pack, right? At least I always talk about this. And I know you've heard me say it. My brother has and people that listen to this have like when I was a kid in grade school, I was so nervous to go to these dances you talk about. And then when I was we started to drink, I could not wait to get there. Did you undergo that same type of like almost that, that shift, right? As far as comfort. Huh. Oh, the courage it gave you was incredible, you know, uh, and uh, and without it on the nights that you went to the dance without it, you know, was scared to death to walk across the dance floor and ask a girl to dance. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was major. Um, and uh, yeah, for sure, it gave you the courage. And, and for me, again, I, I just love the fact that I was doing something that I wasn't allowed to do. And, and I got off on the excitement of that. Uh, the the danger behind it that will you get caught or won't you get caught all that kind of stuff i just love living on the edge that way and and besides the courage like how else did you feel that that it made like the whole experience made you feel you know when you're you know for me when i first had that drink it just changed my entire psyche right not just courage but it was that and we hear that it's a sense of belonging to something right a comfortability what, what for you? What was that experience like? Was it something? Was it not? Did it take time? Well, I, I never was one that felt like I didn't belong. But certainly, uh, drinking with my friends gave you a more of a, a sense of belonging and that you were part of, not uh, uh, not to be excluded, so to speak. Um, yeah, uh, there's a definite uh, sense of belonging that came along with. All of us sitting in the field, uh, drinking that six pack, and you know, um, and who could run the fastest when the police came because they came on a fairly regular basis, and you just saw ten or twelve kids all dart out in all different directions, <laughs> and some got caught, but you know, most got away because there were a few cops and a lot of kids. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, how fast were you? I was quick. <laughs> I knew it. I, I, I was fast, and I could hurdle a fence quicker than shit. <laughs> you still look like an athlete too, and I think that's doesn't little, he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So my, my father was so straight. You ran for your life because if your father found out, I'd be dead. So. That's that's my next question. So, because the same thing, I know Mike and I, obviously the same dad, and uh, I, I was terrified of our father. He was very strict. And, you know, did you ever have any consequences with him? 
early on, you know, where you got caught. Um, cause here's this thing, right? We're terrified. We're terrified of getting in trouble, but we keep doing it. Right. Almost cause you know, for me, I just, I, it was my, was what was calling me. Did you ever have any consequences at home before you got out into the real world? Well, I was arrested at the age of 14 um, for stealing eight track tape players. So that tells you my age and, um, and tachometers and, and different things from automobiles um, at a time where most people didn't even lock their car. You could walk through the mall parking lot and windows would be down. Uh, and, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, again, I always hung out with people that wanted to do things that you weren't allowed to do for that excitement. And, uh, and, and we stole quite a few things over the course of a summer and, uh, and I got arrested. Uh, they, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot for a, a policeman to outsmart a couple of fourteen-year-olds, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know they put you in separate rooms. Then they ask the questions, and you know, and I wound up spilling the beans, thinking that he had already spilled the beans, and you know that kind of thing. And long and short of it is, it was six months probation. Uh, I wasn't able to drive my car until I was seventeen, and uh, and I had to be home at eight o'clock every night for six months. So. Uh, really, really print being able to do anything uh, to get in trouble. But I remember, you know, having that police uh, call my house and have my father bring me into the police station. Let me tell you something. That was scary, scary times. Were you more scared of the police or your father? Oh, hell, the police meant nothing to me. It was right. my father. <laughs> the police were like, who cares? Yeah. Uh, now my father, that I cared about. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. How yeah. much when, when you were in high school? Uh, how how much are you drinking? Like you know, drinking and using bef before you left. Like because you're 14, you're getting arrested for stealing these eight tracks and other stuff. Um, the sound systems. What when you're when you're 18? How how is it? Well, I, during the four years of high school, it was a Friday night uh, type of a thing, if any, if you, you know, maybe a Friday and a Saturday, but rarely both nights. Uh, um, and uh, and when I turned 18, that was the magic number. In fact, it wasn't 18. I, I went to the bars in Trenton at 17 years old for six or seven months under an alias name, you know, fault take ID. And uh because at the time, the drinking age in Pennsylvania was 21, and Jersey had just changed their laws to 18. Mm. So everybody that I grew up with, we all just car-loaded up to Trenton, and we would drink there every Friday and Saturday night, mm. um, for sure. And uh, uh, so that's where the drinking really took off. That's where it became, uh, you know, blackouts. That's where it became driving down Route 1, coming home from New Jersey at 100 miles an hour, not remembering coming home, you know, drag racing other guys in their cars. When I say drag racing, I just mean speeding along. I was Toyota Celica, so it wasn't drag racing. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, and the... Uh, and then they're getting up the next day and laughing about the good times that we had. Uh, to me, that just all seemed normal. That's what everybody that I hung out with did. So I didn't feel as though I was different than anybody else. How was it affecting your relationship with the opposite sex? That was a huge part of me and drinking, you know, because it was my conduit to talk to females. I, I, uh, I am. I, um, I can't say that I was as fortunate as as most, but I, I didn't have too many issues with uh, 
uh, getting a date and going out and being in relationships. They were never long term, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, that part of my life was kind of hit or miss. Uh, and uh, you know, I went. Uh, you know, here's where I was with the with the women. Uh, my friends would stay in the bar in Trenton. Uh, until two in the morning and on Friday nights I would leave at 10 o'clock and drive all the way down to Camden New Jersey because they had the nightclubs and they had the dancing and I wanted to meet women and Mm. I wanted to dance on the dance floor and drink up the you know drink away the night so to speak and uh, and I had a bunch of friends that you know wanted to hang out in their jeans and t-shirt and just sit at the bar and drink and and I want a little bit of both. I wanted to get dressed up a little bit and go out and, and enjoy the evening in different ways than they did. So that was probably the beginning of the separation of uh, me going out on my own versus uh, hanging with the pack. And just from a society uh, standpoint, I'm I'm just curious, what was Camden like uh, back in the day? Like like it was kind of like a hubbub or or, or a hub of like 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 a nightlife scene. What, Camden had great nightclubs uh, that you, you, they had. Uh, uh, my memory of it was they had a lot of black bands that played, and they had the trumpets and the and the horns and the sections and uh, and the good vocals and and uh, and and they could you know uh, and they could get the dance floor going and and uh, and and it was a, a fun experience and uh, and um, I didn't see that at all in trenton trenton wasn't that environment but camden was wow. uh, and so that's where i drove down there for that type of a, a nightlife um and uh you know again a lot of times thinking oh, i'm going to meet the girl all my life da, 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 da. <laughs> driving home alone <laughs> 98 percent of the time yeah that, uh, yeah. uh, uh with a good try again, Dave, but maybe better luck next time. <laughs> hey, keep shooting. Keep shooting, baby. Right? You know, so I still relate to where things are fun. It's about going out and socializing, right? You're with your friends. You're trying to meet girls. And then are, are you experiencing darker moments now? Like, as, as it's, do you feel it progressing and... You know, think because for me, things would start to turn right like that because it was it was very much fun. It was a social thing, and then it became that thing that grabbed me. Right? Like, are you experiencing that at this at this time, or or is that still down the road? I uh, I, I don't recall. I uh, I I just kind of felt like uh, the difference would happen with me over that period of eighteen to maybe twenty three, twenty four. Uh, the crowd changed. Because the friends that I hung out with growing up were getting married, uh, starting to have families and kids, and and I always thought that that would be in my future. But uh, you know, I really never wanted that responsibility. So uh, uh, what changed was who I hung out with, mm. um, uh, and, and and when I would go knock on the doors of my friends' homes that were now wasn't their mother, it was their and then they would see me they'd be like oh no 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 you're not <laughs> you were the guy you were the I guy was, i was the bad influence oh jeez, louise uh, yeah so uh um i don't know if that answers your question but that's yeah. uh, well when memory. did you start to notice that this thing was like mike said it really had had a hold of you like where like you're like oh shit i think we all have that moment and this is even before that jumping off point that they talk about in our literature right our 12-step literature like when you're like, okay, 
this thing has me, but but I love it. I'm going till the wheels fall off. Was there a moment like that when you when you realize this is trouble? My denial was so great. The answer to that question is no. Uh, and and you know you can laugh about it when you look back on it. But uh, right up until the point that uh, you know I had totaled my uh, eighth automobile on Woodhaven Road, uh, which was only a couple miles stretch between 95 and the Boulevard, and uh, and I totaled three different cars on that strip of highway. Um, and uh, and the last one was doing 80 miles an hour, and I went Jeez. up underneath the tractor trailer. And had I not been passed out at the wheel, I would have been decapitated. Um, uh, I say that because uh, when I went into work with 100 stitches in my face, uh, looking to go out and do my job, and my president of my company pulled me into his office and said, Dave, you can't go out and call on customers looking the way you do. And I said, hey, I may not look the same, but I'm still the same guy inside. I'm still, you know, a good salesman. I'm still. And and then what happened was that uh, uh, my uh, sorry, that's my computer. Um, what happened was. Uh, um, uh, you went into saw, work. Yeah. That, yeah. They saw something and, and I was still clueless. Yeah. Still clueless. And. Uh, and here I was, uh, you know, all banged up, big time. Uh, and uh, but now I'm I'm coming to at Tarsdale Hospital uh, after that accident with the with the doctor saying, you know, well, did you ever think about not drinking? And and I would sit there as I'm being stitched up, going, what do you think I planned this? You know what I mean? To me, it was uh, it was uh, what a dumb question that is. Um, and uh, because I was clueless, I was clueless to the fact that the booze and the drugs was the problem. And I mean that sincerely. I was mm-hmm. clueless. Um, I sat with the. Uh, so when my employer said I need to do something about my drinking, that infuriated me because just a few years ago, I was their top sales producer. Mm-hmm. Just a few years ago, I was this. Everything was just a few years ago from because of the age of 26 to 28. I was spiraling downhill big time, and I didn't know it. Um, mm. I couldn't see it because my denial was so great, and uh, and uh, and I had a family that were great. Uh, you know, uh, you know, oh, you don't have a problem. You know what I mean? So uh, uh, they were right there playing uh, playing uh, along with it. But the Philly court system thought I had a problem, and my employer thought I had a problem. And uh, and so therefore, uh, I had to wind up doing something about what they thought was a problem. Uh, and uh, and prior to going and doing anything, I sat with a car agent uh, that leased cars. Uh, and I sat with him because I was going to ask him about leasing a car versus buying a car because I had four different cars that I was paying car loans off on and I didn't have a car. Uh, I was without a car and I'm paying off four. So I'm thinking, well, maybe buying them isn't working. Maybe I need to lease them. Uh, and and here's the thing and why I tell this story. Um, I asked him about the nine passenger Buick station wagon because I needed a station wagon for delivering what we sold. And, uh, and I had a six passenger Buick station wagon on Woodhaven Road and almost killed myself. And the answer, Pete, was, and Mike, is 
I needed a bigger car because I knew it was going to happen again. And son of a bitch, I almost killed myself in the yeah. six passenger wagon. I need a bigger car. Never, ever, ever dawned on me that that bottle of Jameson that came rolling out from underneath the seat had anything to do with what my problems were. Uh, just needed a bigger car. Yeah. It, it's amazing to me where this disease can bring us, right? Here you are. Any normal person would step back and look at this and say, you've got four car loans and no car. And I love that's one of my favorite Dave C stories, right? I've never I heard it. it. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what? Like, what? What's the problem? Like, you're <laughs> so in the swirl of addiction. You're, you know, you almost lose your your upper torso, your torso and your head in an accident. But you're you're good. Drinking's not the problem. It's amazing that that's where we go to before we sometimes get help. It's just bad luck. I just had bad luck. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, my, if my luck would change, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, that's. So that's how bad my denial was. I was completely unaware of it. But how about this? You're still you still have a job. You're still go. You're still going. Well, to work. it was it was now being threatened because of. Uh, remember, it was the employer that had me come in, and they had just given me a sales promotion where I was going to be managing one of their biggest offices, mm. and it was a nice promotion for me. And they they threatened that hey, do something about your drinking, or you'll come back and. Either you won't have a job or you won't be the sales manager that I had just been promoted to. So, uh, uh, and even at that time, whether I was, I mean, I was furious. I marched out of their office and walked mm. around that industrial park in the middle of the winter, freezing my butt off, screaming, cussing and cursing. How dare they? How dare they say that about me? You know, I was furious. And, um, and, uh, and, and the anger was, was, was incredible. Uh, and uh, but the fact of the matter was is, is that uh, I knew I needed the finances. I needed I knew I needed the money to support my addiction and and to pay off all the damn bills that I was gathering up with lawyers and courts and and all the shit that came along with living the lifestyle that I lived. So I I I knew it was real important. Don't cut out the cash flow. So uh, I I obviously did what they said. And, and, and what did they say? What do they want you to do? Go get help. Okay. Uh, they wanted me to go uh, check into a rehab or do something about my drinking. Now, I was their first employee that they ever did uh, uh, this with. So I had the uh, the honor of uh, being the first guy the president called into his office to say, Dave, you know, you need to do something about your drinking. Mm. And, and so the Dave, by the way, at a time where. Hey, you go ahead, drink and drive. Everybody's driving around with a beer in the center console or whatever. And at, employers are not really handling with this. You're you're at the front of this whole, like a new frontier pretty much. Yes. And the irony of it is three years later, I 12-stepped the man that sent me and, oh, wow. uh, and became his sponsor and uh, have been sponsoring him ever since. Oh, uh, yeah, he, I did not know that. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, he had his own problem. And uh, <laughs> he he totaled a car three years later and called me and said, hey, I think I have a problem. And uh, and I was able to go help him. And uh, and to this day, I've always told him he saved my life by calling me into his office that day. That's amazing. It, it saved my life. Because I'd have been dead. I always swore I'd never lived to be thirty, and truthfully, uh, I didn't care. Um, and uh, and I was twenty eight at the time when uh, when he told me I needed to do something about my dream. 
And what did you do? Did you go to rehab? Did you go? Did you start going to twelve step meetings? Like, what was your next step after that? Well, I uh, I uh, ran into a guy that I used to work with uh, in the city because I worked in the city and I, and I was down there to see the Philly court systems because they were kind of suggesting and recommending the same thing. In other words, if you don't want to go to jail or if you want to get on this. ARD program or whatever it was that they might have been offering me at the time. Uh, uh, I needed to do something. And uh, uh, and so I, I wound up running into a guy who said, oh, yeah, there's a place up in Ben Salem. You should go check that out. So uh, I had a lead, so to speak. <laughs> so I said, OK. So I, my brother and I went to this particular facility and uh, and I said that, you know, I might want to check into your place. Uh, you know, your brother, your brother's just strictly support, right? Right. He's just supportive. Yeah. And and he drove me there because I didn't have a car. Um, <laughs> and, he had a uh, car loan. <laughs> and, uh, but, they, you know, uh, it was clear that uh, I, my ego was, well, show me around your place. Uh, <laughs> let me know if it's up to my standards <laughs> of, of checking in. <laughs> and and thank God they understood the ego and the mentality of the uh, of the still sick and suffering, and they gave me a tour of the place, and they showed me where there I was going to have a service, you know, do with something like mop floors or work in the kitchen or whatever it was while I stayed there, and, and obviously that wasn't for me. Uh, they pointed out that I'd be in a room with three other people. My brother obviously said, well, my brother will need a private room. Um, and this is how this tour is going. <laughs> You're checking into the four seasons, right, buddy? Well, in the end, we, we come back to the lobby and they said, and then and at the end of this, when you get out of here, we highly recommend AA. And, um, and, and just so you know, that's the first time I had ever heard mm. any correlation to alcoholic uh, in my mind. Nobody ever said to me, oh, you're alcoholic. I never ever looked in the mirror and said to myself, I'm alcoholic. That's how much my denial was. It was just, I just didn't see it. Um, and, uh, and so I marched out of the place. I said, well, this place isn't for me. I'm not alcoholic. And I laughed. Um, but I was between a rock and a hard place. I couldn't go back to work. I had to appease the Philly court system. Mm -hmm. So I went home for a week, detoxed myself uh, because, you know, I'll show you. And then uh, I, I had to surrender and I checked back into that same place a week wow. later um, to uh, to go through the program, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have a job. What was that detox like? Do you remember? <laughs> Well, it, it it started off with a couple of eight balls, uh, to, uh, and 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 a couple of cases of Heineken because I thought if this is if I'm going out and I'm going to be away for a few weeks, uh, I'm going to go out in style, and so it was between Christmas and New Year's of the that uh, particular year, and um, and uh, so it was kind of it was kind of crazy, um, and. Uh, uh, but see, I, I also, Pete, uh, just so you know, I, I didn't need to have a drink or a drug every day. Um, uh, I could wake up and, and go to work and come home that night, not drink anything. A lot of times I had to do that because I didn't have the energy or the capacity to restart the engine. I needed what I called a day or two to get my strength back up, so to speak, to go on another tear. Um, but when I picked up the drink, the drink took me. Yeah. That was the difference. And I could admit that. And I finally did admit that 
while I was at the rehab. I didn't see myself as alcoholic, but I certainly would admit to them, if I pick up a drink, you never know where the hell I'm going to end up. And and as you're telling parts of your story, it's really hitting me that, you know, obviously acceptance was not something that came easy to you, right? That denial piece. And so you go, you check into rehab. What, what's that moment like, or when do you all of a sudden realize, Oh my God, I really do have a problem. Like where does that, that step that's that first step come to you um when the when they talked about the uh, what happens when you take the first drink and uh, and i wasn't i didn't see i didn't think that was going to be clarifying myself as an alcoholic i'd be the first one to tell them, well when i take the drink you just never know where the hell i'm going to end up um but i thought because i didn't drink every day or because I wasn't drinking at nine o'clock in the morning uh, type things, I, I didn't see myself as alcoholic. Um, and uh, but in the rehab, I did surrender to that first thing. And uh, and and when they said, "Well, that's powerlessness. You're powerless to it if you if you once you get going and you can't stop." And I could admit that. I could admit that I would try to drive home and pass the Roger Wilco on the way home from work and not pull in to get that six pack of uh, a beer, but you know, I pulled in uh, and every day I would drive by and say, I'm not going to pull in. I'd, I'd pull in. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I had to admit that. And then also, too, I'm sober now a couple of weeks. You know, the head's clearing just mm-hmm. ever so slightly. And uh, and and some reasoning is is setting in. Uh, and those people, you know, got God bless. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to gingerly walk around the landmines of, of me, the Alki to to keep me enrolled into what it is that they were trying to teach me you know in my stay there how did you one of the big things for me when i went to treatment um and then was lucky i was lucky enough to go to treatment and then get involved in you know aa and also you know go to a halfway house a recovery house afterwards but i always say man i started to talk about recovery with other people who wanted to stay sober and i started to get this juice man like wow this feels good like, I like this. I can do this. Like, I feel clear-headed. Like, I have that, re- that, that, that kind of like buzz that we get through alcohol and drugs. You know, like, I got it in recovery. I got it from being vulnerable. Did that happen for you at that place in Ben Salem? And, and like, how did it happen? Well, uh, what happened was is that I, in front of a bunch of peers, emphatically said you can't have fun without drinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we did this in one of those little you know group environments, and the, the counselor was setting us all up with that. And I, in front of my peers, and vehemently said, "You can't have fun." And she created a little game that we were playing amongst ourselves. And all I can share is, ten minutes later, we were all peeing ourselves laughing. Because <laughs> uh, Alfies can be some pretty funny folks, right? Yeah. And um, and she looked at me and she said, "Are you having fun, Dave?" <laughs> and I wanted to strangle her. Uh, here I was just 10 minutes before saying, you can't have fun without alcohol. And here I am sober as the day is long. And, uh, and, and I'm having, I mean, and that laughter is coming from the gut, you know, it's coming up from the gut. It's a great laughter. And then I had to look at it and go, Holy, obviously I was pissed. I would never let her know that she, you know, she just outwitted me and outsmarted that, you know, the great I am. Uh, but in the end, I thought about it and I said, uh, if I'm that wrong in my thinking about that, 
are there other things that I'm now that wrong about? Because I, you know, I would tell you that, you know, my problem was I needed a bigger car. You know what I mean? So uh, my thinking was not what you would call sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so that was the turning point. And then I had a week left in the rehab. I was going to learn everything there was to learn about being sober without taking a drink. Because when I got out of there, I was not going to do anything that they were saying I needed to do. Because I didn't need you folks. I didn't need the people in the rooms. I was going to do it all on my own. Because that's how I handled things in my life. Uh, I didn't ask for help. I just took care of it myself. And and that was... Uh, my mo and uh, and she made me promise to go to one meeting a week and i had she had my respect because she outsmarted me even though it doesn't take a whole lot but back then it's yeah. like you know i was the great i am look how right. she was really clever <laughs> it was pretty pretty basic stuff <laughs> and so i went to a meeting a week because i made a promise and i was a man of my word if i promised you i'd do something i would do it and um and i went in last person in the room and first person out uh, you weren't catching me. You weren't going to corner me. You weren't going to talk to me. You weren't going to ask me my name. I was gone. And I met, met my weekly commitment. And, and that was that for some time. I mean, I went three or four months with that uh, uh, with that mentality. And I still went to the pubs. So not recommended to anybody that's listening to this uh, for sure. But, um, uh, you know, I went and still tried to see the same people and hang out with the same crowd and just drink seltzer. And uh, and that didn't work. I was, you know, I was off the charts with, uh, with feeling so, so, so way out of place and the anger mm. and the emotions. And I would drive home crying because I couldn't figure it out. Uh, um, so yeah, that was my early sobriety. It was not uh, a real good uh, sober person in the first four to six months of uh Love that. Mike, Over. Mike asks, by the way, I love, or I, I don't love, it's impactful when you tell the story about when you were hanging out, early sobriety, right? You're hanging out with two buddies and you're at a nice restaurant and same deal I'm hearing from Dave. Like, it's like, you're with these guys. You're probably yeah. not quite ready in the headspace to be in those environments. And you're just like, ah, you, you're, you're this tight fist, oh. you know, you're wild. I, up. I remember the restaurant and I remember the people I was with and I was sitting with them and the whole time they're, you know, they do that. Like, Hey, do you mind if we have a, if I, we have a drink and I'm like, Oh, of course I can handle it. And they're drinking and they both had great jobs. And at this point I'm still unemployed due to, due to my disease. And, uh, I was angry. I'm like, I want to be normal. Like these guys, why can't I have a drink like them? Um, you know, it was pain. I, it was pal- it's palpable just talking about it now. Um, and the other side of that is, you know, comparing your insides to somebody else's outsides. One of the guys who seemed to have his shit together, great job, great family. Twenty years later, dies in a hotel room by himself with a bottle of vodka. And I wanted that, right? I wanted, I wanted that. I romanticized what they were going through. Um, and, and I was, as you're talking about your first four, six months, what for you flipped that switch to, to, to become a part, right. To, to go from a visitor to a member of a program. Great question. And, uh, what kept me a visitor, uh, during that time was I would meet people that came in after me 
that I obviously didn't like. You know, I was very opinionated, and <laughs> and uh, and so now you're thirty days less sober than I am, and I don't like it. And I already know I ain't picking up a drink because that would mean you'd have more so sober time than me. So that kept me around for a few months, I'll have to say. But uh, the, the the tipping point was you, you start going to the meeting because you're afraid to lose what you got. Mm. And I could definitely see a change. Everybody that I knew could see a change in me as far as how I looked. Uh, I, I would go to a family get together and my nieces and nephews were crawling all over Uncle Dave as we're rolling around on the floor. And they never wanted anything to do with Uncle Dave at previous family functions. So it's like the family dog, I guess. I guess they kind of have a sense of who's safe and who isn't. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so I was enjoying that. I was starting to enjoy that. And uh, but the tip, the the, the what 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 really changed things was getting a coffee commitment. Um, uh, somebody enrolled me into grabbing a commitment, and it meant I had to get there an hour and fifteen minutes before the meeting started because it was the you know hundred cup urn that took an hour to brew. Wow. And uh, and so you had to get there early. And then while you were there, you would meet all the people that would come traipsing in and realize there was a lot of people that came to meetings before the meeting. And uh, and you, you start chatting with them. And all of a sudden there's this, you know, I'm laying out the cookies and I'm putting everything the way that I like it. And, and it's my and now you're in my kitchen. You know, now I'm serving you coffee and cookies and and uh, and uh, and 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 whatever. But uh, I, I felt like I belonged. It felt like I, I describe it, Mike, as uh, dipping your toe in the pool. Yeah. Everybody's in the pool having a great time. And I'm still walking around the pool dipping my toe because I can't make that commitment to jump in. And finally, once I jumped in, I started having all the fun that everybody else was having and realized it wasn't that big a deal. In fact, why did I wait so long mm. to do but that's that was my journey, you know. Uh, that first year was uh, was was ups and downs and everything else. But that coffee commitment at about nine months sobriety saved my life. How was your energy changing? Because you have great energy, and mm -hmm. for anybody, you know, I got to know you right through the rooms and through recovery. And you're just like one of those people who is quick with a laugh, quick with a smile. Were you always like that, um, or or did you lose it? Like I did, I, I went dark, right? In the midst of my addiction. And then I got it back when I got sober. You know, the light in my eyes came on and the light in my spirit turned on as well. Um, I, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up. I have five brothers and a sister and they're all loving. Like I know you, you know, uh, and, uh, and and so the uh, the personality of being a, a little outgoing and, and having fun and 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 enjoying life uh, was part of my upbringing um, for sure. Um, I uh, you know I was scared to death though. Uh, I was in outside sales and my sales weren't doing real well because you know I guess I had such a bad hangover on a lot of mornings. I wasn't afraid to ask for the order or whatever. <laughs> but going in and banging on doors completely sober, even though I didn't drink during the day, I'm sure the alcohol stayed in my system. Uh, so the courage and all the things that we talked about, asking a girl to dance, uh, the courage to ask him for the order and stuff like that was a bit of a challenge in that first year of sobriety. But, uh, 
you know, thank God for the for the men in the rooms uh, that that put their hand down, that said, "Hey, Dave, we're going to be here tomorrow night. Why don't you meet us here?" Uh, and then you'd go there, and then the next night they'd say, "Hey, Dave, we're going to be here uh, tomorrow night. Why don't you meet us?" And and had they asked me on Monday that they were going to do that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'd have told them no on Monday and not gone. Uh, but they were really, really good at how to slowly enroll me mm-hmm. into uh, going to meetings. And uh, and as a result of that, um, uh, that's the only thing to save my life. I mean, that's who you talked about, you know, what gives you hope. The hope was uh, that these people uh, took the time out of their busy calendar to to give a damn about somebody like me who truthfully didn't give a damn about you whatsoever. Mm. And that's the part that I felt, you know, there, you talk about unconditional love. Uh, there was no love coming back for me towards you, but they were treating me like I was their, uh, their own brother. Uh, uh, so really, really uh, would not be sitting here today talking to you if it wasn't the people in the rooms that put their hand out and, and, and guided me along uh to uh to to get enough time where you could start yeah. having the head clear and start being able to think of some things um uh, on your own so Just i like to, you know i i think in in obviously in nature there's seasons right and i think in our lives there are different seasons and i i equate the, you know, the program to that and my sobriety, there are different seasons at times. Some can last a year or two. And, you know, I can, I can be like totally in the center of the boat and and part of it. So over 30 years of sobriety, right? There are a lot of seasons within that 30 years, right? And like all of us, you've, you've dealt with some ups and downs, turbulent times, right? How, how has the program helped you through some of those times and like you know for someone out there who's 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 thinking about you know the program and and well these are you know what can, what else does it do for us I, like we talk about it, it it's a roadmap for me of how to live right but you get punched in the nose right and in sobriety we've all been punched in the nose right so how's the program helped you through that or has it Oh, it it has big time. Uh, you know, once I got to that point where I started coming home from work, running upstairs, changing, heading out the door, couldn't wait to get to a meeting. The the change in that person was incredible. And at that point, I'm going to ten meetings, twelve meetings a week because I'm single. I'm 28 years old. I'm uh, you know, I'm going to AA dances. I'm doing midnight meetings. We used to have midnight meetings on Fridays and Saturday nights. Uh, and I'm just trying to have a life without a drink, and um, and uh, and and I'm just lost my train of thought, which is not unusual for me. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but it was it was basically life is going to punch you in the nose, and how do you use recovery I, to get through? Right. It? Well, I had a lot of uh, meetings in the bank. My sponsor would say, "Just keep going to those meetings, fill up that bank account, because you're going to need to take a withdrawal every now in life, because life." will deal with life's terms. And when you have to deal with those, you, you'll need that uh, that bank account to draw upon. And uh, and that happened in, a, in, in my first marriage where I uncovered that my wife was seeing another man. Mm-hmm. And, and that just tore a hole in my heart. 
because uh, I got rigorously honest. What I didn't realize was is not everybody else is rigorously honest. Um, AA saved my life during that time. You know, my old personality was still there, so to speak. Uh, and so they saved me my life in tough times, you know, uh, like you. Uh, uh, my father passed away and I had to go to his funeral uh, sober and uh, and deal with losses of, of family. Uh, uh, so uh, AA has taught me how to deal with everything uh, that life throws my way. And, and thank God I had those meetings to call upon because I didn't always go to a ton of meetings a week. There was times in where I would go to one or two, but I went to the one or two because I knew I had this little internal alarm system that would go beep, 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 and it would just go off when when the old personality of me was starting to come out. And I look in the mirror and I know, and I'd say, you need to get your ass to a meeting. And so thank God for that. That's what uh, got me through those times was, uh, you know, and then you would remember what people said, you know, uh, what happens to people that don't make meetings? They don't get to hear about what happens to people that don't make meetings. Yeah. And it was just that simple. And and as you know, AA had an answer for, oh, I keep saying AA, I shouldn't say that. Recovery yeah. had an answer for everything. Uh, so strike that list. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all, yeah. Yeah, I had an answer for everything. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and thank God. Uh, Thank God that the, that they did. Uh, what did you do in the, back, in, in, in the in the wake of that? You know, your your, your relationship with your wife dissolves, and I, I this guy, God rest his soul, when I was in a a recovery house, he talked about how you know matters of the heart are just the hardest thing for alcoholics, and he was warning us early on, you know, just don't mess around with 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 any women, you know, like it's just. It can be too much. But even in sobriety, if you have a little time, you know, you're sober. There's no seeking any elixir, any like, let me just shut my pain off. How did you move through that a situation of that magnitude? Well, I, 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 uh, I fell head over heels in love with my wife. Uh, and then uh, I was sober a couple of years and I was 30 years old at that point. And mm -hmm. uh, and now, you know, I wanted a family. I wanted kids. I wanted what my friends were doing. I wanted what my brothers had done uh, ahead of me. I was now looking at it saying, I think I'm responsible enough to, to maybe have a child or whatever. Uh, and so to, to, to get rigorously honest and then to find out that not everybody uh, practices that, um, it, it was just totally took me and just blew me away. All I can tell you is I had to deal with all those emotions and all those pains and all that suffering without my best friend at the time. And my best friend growing up was the drink. Uh, and so I had to deal with all of that sober. And it was the people in the rooms of, uh, that I attended and, and, and those meetings that I went to that, uh, that guided me through uh, and told me how to just get another day. Uh, when I thought my life was gone, I thought all was lost because uh, now I'm 34 years old and I'm single and, and I have no prospects. And and uh, and the big house we just bought, she walked out and I was stuck with the mortgage. And it was it was a big house for for one person. And uh, and uh, and in the 1989, 1990, the real estate market dropped. And so what I have was a home that was worth sixty thousand dollars less than I paid for it. Um, so it, I was in a bad way. 
uh, financially, uh, emotionally, and uh, and and I only got through it all without picking up a drink because of the people in the rooms. Well, I got one more thing to add, and then I think Mike has something to interject here. I, I can tell you this: sharing stuff like you shared with us just here today, and like you did in on meetings openly, um, you know, years ago really really helped me like going through a situation where i put all my eggs in one basket with a relationship and i it had started to implode and you were a guy who i looked up to so much and, and you shared something like that um like it's it's okay to hit the mat in life in a relationship when you think you've mm -hmm. got this thing that really turns out to not be what you thought it was you just yes. keep going forward and you were a guy that i could call we could have laughs i mean it's just like it's an amazing deal that like the pain that you went through in 1989 in 2021, I'm going through my shit and you're talking about that openly on a meeting. And it's like, for me, it's like, you know, here's another guy who, who's, who's showing me the way who's done it. And I want to be like it, where he is now. Cause he's happy and he's free. And that doesn't mean you're not going to experience bumps in the road. Right. But like, it's just crazy how this thing works. It's amazing. Uh, what a gift, right? Oh, my God. Uh, and I say, oh, my God, because all of it based upon the man upstairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he led me to, to the rooms. And from there, uh, you want to talk about gratitude. My gratitude to my God, as I understand him, and and uh, the fellowship uh, is, is second to none. Uh, I get on my knees every day uh, and ask him for another day. I don't take that day for granted. After I get done asking for that day, I get out my list of everything that I'm grateful for. And there's tons of things that I'm grateful for, but I repeat them every day. I need to do that because left of my own devices, I have a disease that wants me to forget. I have a disease that wants me back as a paying customer. I have a disease that could care less about my gratitude and, and my life today. It, it just wants me back. And, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, and I was taught all of that. All of those things were, were, were taught uh, to me. And, uh, and as you shared, Pete, uh, I'm able to give back some of that uh, hope to you when you're going through a relationship issue because, hey, I, I, I lived it. So that's what we do. You know, we learn, we deal with the pain, we deal with all the emotions, we deal with all the stuff that life gives us. And in the end, you hope that you can stick around long enough to give some of that back to somebody else who might need that. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm grateful, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to have been given that, that chance, mm. uh, 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 at a second chance at life. Uh, and I don't want to lose it. Uh, and I know it's a power greater than me. I know my disease is a power greater than me. I know that I'll drink. We stay sober. Uh, I know that the person I was will drink again. Mm -hmm. I was told never to forget my last drink. If I forget it, I probably haven't had it. Um, these are the things that were ingrained into my brain when I came around because they're, uh, they're so true. Uh, and I need to be reminded of that uh, because uh, my disease wants me to forget. It wants me to say, oh, I'm okay. And because uh, it wants me back as a paying customer. And, uh, and if I do that, it'll win. Uh, it always did. So why would things be any different? Uh, so that's why I'm, uh, 
that's why I'm so full of gratitude because I've been given that chance and I've been taught. Uh, you know, now it requires work. I got to get out and, and do what it tells me I should do, but I don't mind doing the work. I was never afraid of work. Um, and, uh, and, and, if, uh, and the beauty of it is I'm not working alone because I'm on the calls or I'm on with people like you. It's, it's a fellowship. It's not a, it's not an I program. It's a we program. And, uh, and for that, I am truly grateful. And, that, and that's, you know, Peter said it at the beginning and, and you just talked about the gratitude. You're, you're somebody who you've been in my life for about 10 years now. We met at, at a 707, a, a, a group. And, uh, I, you know, you have this, this, this deep voice and you command the room. And, uh, I remember cause it was a very local group of people. And then you started coming with some of your buddies and so much more energy was, was infused to that. And I got to know you even just for a minute or two after a meeting and, and, or grabbing breakfast at, at first watch, you know, and your enthusiasm for the program, um, was, was again, palpable as is your gratitude. Um, and then fast forward to COVID and you have shared that, you know, you, you were doing that, I think two or three, maybe meetings, I could be wrong here, you know, up at like, and you said, I got to make a change here. And, and I've, I have seen firsthand the program that you have committed to and worked over the last several years. And it has inspired me to up my game. And my rewards from that have been ridiculous. Like the joy I, I feel now, the way that I can navigate life by being more a member of the program than I ever have been. Um, is 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 amazing and, and and in part from watching what you did and you sharing it um and also one last thing before i because i, I want to hear what got you to that moment but you know when our father passed right and again dave I, I was you know i knew you but we you know we didn't talk on the phone my dad passes and i you know you look out into the the the, the congregation and there's dave c Right. Dave sees there with a bunch of other AA people or sobriety people. And, um, you know, that was such a moment for me because I heard about this, but I never experienced it. Here's here's somebody who didn't want to do anything for anybody. Now he's showing up and it warmed. It was like my heart exploded. And I'm like, man, I, I can do more. Right. And, and my service and commitment has quadrupled since that because I saw and felt how much it meant. So you go from not wanting to be of service to where you are. I mean, you live a, a service-oriented life, right? And how, so how did the, the last three, four years, what what got you there and what has that been like? Um, great question. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be on a, a, a group text that was created by somebody that's a friend. And there, there were th me and two others on it. So there was four people on this text chain. And he said in his text, I need a live meeting. And that was the text. And it was, you could tell by the tone of, I need a live meeting that this guy was jammed up. So we, you know, I hit this schedule and we found one uh, in uh, not too far away and that was open because of COVID. There was a lot that were closed, but this was open. And, and we went to that meeting and he was jammed up 
And he was grateful that uh, not only I showed up, but the other two guys that were on that X drove even a further distance than I drove to meet up with this guy, because that's what we do, as you know. And uh, But as a result of that, as I sat in that room, I had this, you know, as I told you, I went to one meeting a week for the first six months. I was not a 90 and 90 guy, but I got this all of a sudden, this thought came to my mind. I'm going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Where that came from, I today I know higher power. Uh, today it was generated by the man reaching out for help and us just showing up uh, to, to be of service. And so I'm grateful for that because I started that 90 and 90. And like a typical Alki uh, day 91, well, I don't need to go to a meeting. <laughs> I did my 90. And so I missed day 91. <laughs> And, but it only took till day, day 92 to say, wait a second, you've just been sharing for the last few months how much better your life is today and how much better you feel about your relationship with your higher power, how much better your life is going with your family members right now, uh, how much things had changed just because I had really upped my uh, level of commitment to, to the fellowship. And, uh, and I said, well, if it's doing that good for you, why would you cut it out? Uh, so I just started going again. And that was a couple of years ago. And I haven't missed. Uh, I go every day, at least once a day. And, and I do that because it works. I do that because I've never, ever felt better in my life. And, um, and so the man that scoffed at the 90 and 90 when I first came around now would be the first one to say, how much it's helped me now and here's what i'll end with this mike is that if you're doing that many meetings and you're going to that many meetings you feel part of you know i was a gypsy in the fellowship for years because i would go to a meeting in town where everybody just showed up because it was during work and right after the meeting everybody bolts back to the office so i never really had a lot of connections over time and so I was more like a gypsy. Well, when you start going every day, you really do feel like, hey, I'm I belong here. I'm in the pool. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and as a result of that, you feel as though now you really do have something to offer somebody and maybe you do have something to give away. And and then lastly, you can't meet a newcomer if you're not at a meeting. So what I found out was I saw all of a sudden started having people coming up to me and saying, hey, I want what you have, your enthusiasm level, your energy level for 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 this fellowship is is contagious. Would you mind uh, sponsoring me or would you mind working with me or would you mind making a meeting with me? And uh, and then that just snowballs. And uh, and then you really, really get the concept of what uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob said yes. from day one is that you can't keep it unless you give it away. Mm. And uh, and I can't give away if I'm not there. And uh, and my idea of giving back was when they passed around the envelope for the newcomer in the room, I put my name and my phone number on it. And as I was doing it, I would be saying, I hope he doesn't call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's honest. Yeah, that's as honest as I can be. And then instead of putting my name on an envelope, when I would be in a room after this 90 and 90 and this new energy level, 
uh, and I'd hear somebody that was new, I was up at them first thing after the meeting to say, hey, let me get your number, let me, and then a text, a call, anything just to be supportive because uh, I felt like I had something to give away uh, where before I didn't feel as though I had really had had the right to tell people or help people with certain things because I was just kind of skimping along on my own. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I got one more for you. And that's the difference. The difference today is, is that uh, you guys see me in the last few years as being actively involved in everything. And that's because it's, it's so selfish of me uh, because the rewards are so great that although it looks like, ah, I mean, he's in service, look what he's doing. Trust me, I'm the benefactor of all that because my lifestyle, my family, my kids, and everything have a more loving father a better husband, mm. better co-worker, all of that completely changes because of uh, because of the fellowship and, and what it's done for me in my life. What do, you, uh, what do you tell a newcomer that's struggling with a relationship with a higher power or God? I mean, you've, you've met so many um, and some Thank people you. just crawl in there. I mean, most all of us do. And some of us have preconceived notions about God. Uh, what do you tell that person? Fake it till you make it. Uh, you may not believe uh, it's okay. Just, just, just believe that there's something greater than you. That's all. That's all I tell them is just, you, you just got to have a belief that there's some kind of power out there in this world uh, that's, that's more powerful than you. Uh, and if you do that, you, you, you've, you've chinked the, the, the little hole in the wall, so to speak, and, and you can grow from there. Uh, and, and, and to some, that's very difficult. It was for me, uh, for sure, because my ego said, no, I, I got all the answers. Um, but uh, that's all I do is just say, you know, fake it till you make it um, and uh, just keep coming. How, how long have you been married now? Well, I, we just celebrated 20 years. Uh, and I was going to say, in case anyone's wondering, right, all's well that ends well. <laughs> I have had the great pleasure of meeting uh, Mrs. Dave C. And talk about a dude who outkicked his coverage somehow <laughs> in sobriety, man. She is the nicest and prettiest lady going. Like, awesome. She is all around, dude. Like, ten, like 11 out of 10. Well, we still haven't lost our sales skills, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the truth, man. Come on. Close, close that order. Uh, no, I've been blessed. Uh, but 20 years. Uh, yes. I was, I was single for 12 years in the, in the rooms and uh, and went on a million blind dates and 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 led the life that you're living from right now, Pete. Uh, and uh, and uh, then I'm, and then I had a child in the, in 1999. I was a single parent to a young boy. And uh, he changed my life. Mm. And uh, when he was two or three, I met my current wife and, uh, and my life had already changed. And she was younger than me and she wanted to have a couple kids. And I wanted my boy to have siblings. So it just all kind of came together. And now I have a, a, a son and a daughter with my current wife mm. and I'm uh, and I'm single parent to my oldest boy. And uh, and those blessings that have been bestowed upon me are just I mean, I live for my kids. Yeah. I absolutely live for my kids. It's just such a miracle, S such a uh, such a 
a great thing to happen for somebody who shouldn't have been, somebody that's always said he'd never make it to live to be 30. And here I am, I'm 68 years old and I have a wonderful family. Well, and it I speaks to, I have a daughter in high school. So I started late. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it speaks, your story really speaks to, I've heard people say it and, and, when they say it to me still today, it, it'll annoy me a little bit. Like, I wish you a long, slow recovery, you know, like, yeah. like your body will work, right. It speaks to consistency. I mean, I always say like, AA, it's just like, it's like hit or, or recovery, right. It's like hitting for average. You know, if you keep showing up, you're, you're going to hit a really well, your average is going to look great. You're going to go over four some days, you know, but you keep going and show that dedication and consistency and that work. You're you're going to be a lifetime three thirty hitter. I'm. I tell you what. I uh, I am grateful to people. Ask me, you know, how you doing? I'm grateful to be alive today. I don't count tomorrow. Uh, I'm just grateful to be here today. It's tough to live within that dynamic, but I certainly understand it and appreciate it because. Uh, you know, uh, when you get to be my age, you start losing friends. You start seeing people that pass. Uh, you know, I, I know you guys had to deal with the loss of your brother. Mm -hmm. um, nothing's uh, a guarantee. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, I, I get that. And and I get that today's a gift that uh, the higher power has given to me. And, uh, and hopefully with that gift, I can give back something to somebody. Um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, because uh, uh, that's what was provided to me when I came in. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it makes no, great well, you, sense. You Mike, given, anything else? I was going to say, you've given back to me, man. And uh, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you more and more as each year um, goes by. And what it's just a, what, what, you know, to aspire to be like somebody, you walk the walk, like legitimately. Um, I mean, you're authentic all the way through and you, and what I love is you, you take your sobriety and family seriously, but you do not take yourself too seriously. And, and that's something that I subscribe to, but, uh, man, I, I, I love you, man. You're one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And you've been, been such a great, uh, example for me. So I'm glad you're in my life. Michael, the feelings are mutual. Saturday mornings with Seuss is one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, is there anything you wanted to add about your story or anything that we may have left out or uh no well I'll just say to the to the person that's struggling uh or is this for you or is it not for you uh just give it a day just don't pick up a drink or a drug for today and if you can do that and you're and you're fortunate enough to have a pill to put your head on at the end of the day. Tell yourself you're a winner, because not picking up a drink or a drug for one day is a huge accomplishment. And uh, and if you're able to do that, uh, tell yourself you're a winner because you are. Mm. Dave, Dave, I love you, man. That was great. God bless you guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It was yeah, really, really yeah. great. That yeah. was really, really good, man. Like, you know, that's like good, honest sobriety that people can relate to, right? Like, awesome. Well, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I have time to tell you, I was a bit nervous for yeah, sure. Yeah, your crew's great, oh dude. It was great. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 
when, so when we put one. this out, I'll just keep it anonymous. Dave C. All right. Is that? Well, you, I was Dave C when you uh, announced my whole one on your TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dante was there. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's so great, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then my, I tell my wife, and then my wife has a girlfriend that knows you and says, oh, I know Pete. Uh, <laughs> what a small world. Small. That's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And is. Pete, there is hope that you'll find somebody someday. That's what Dave was saying earlier. No, he oh wasn't saying God. that, Mike. He wasn't but saying Yes, he that. was. Definitely no, he wasn't. Was. He was saying he would date a lot. That's what I'm doing. It's not a miserable experience. I thought he was saying there's hope for you. Those are big time hope. Are you kidding? You're <laughs> See? dude. You're successful. You're good looking. You're you're sober. Uh, you have high energy level. You got a great Man. personality. I mean, you got it all rocking. Yeah, yeah I am, buddy. It's awesome. Thank you Thanks, so much, Dave. Pete. See you guys. All right, man. All right, love you, buddy. Appreciate Thanks, that, man. Man. Love you both. Love you, man. Bye. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.